Welcome into a Monday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. I definitely did not say Locked On Nets in multiple takes before this one. I am your new host, Gavin Shaw, joined by my new co-host, Alex Wolf. R.I.P. James Marcita, the GOAT. It's going to be tough replacing him, but we are going to do our best. We are introducing ourselves to you guys, then we are getting into this Knicks-Hornets bout. It was terrible, but Frank played really well, and Kevin Knox played really well. So there's... Some reason to be excited. We're getting to that next on Locked On Knicks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Once again, I am Gavin Shaw. I am joined by Alex Wolf. This is literally the second time we have ever talked that wasn't over email. So, Alex, I'm extremely excited to do this podcast with you, and I'm, I think I'm even more excited to get to know you as a person. I think I think it's going to be great. Well, you know, it's, it should be pretty fun. We're uh, we're going to get to grow together, and everybody's going to get to hear it, you know, right over the air. And uh, it should be a great time, I think. There is there's no scenario where that goes wrong. Um, Alex, I wanted to, just to start this off, and I think we, we were talking about this a little bit pre-show, but I'm assuming the majority of the people listening are familiar with your work, but I don't know, depending on how much time uh, James took establishing your background in excruciating detail. I, I'd, I'd love to hear about your history as a Knicks fan because I think I think people are interested in that, and I'm I'm certainly interested in it. So h- how did you how did you first get into Knicks basketball? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, James never really asked me because you know, he doesn't he care. Just, uh, He's a jerk. James all about James, man. hundred percent. He, uh, he, he just didn't have too much uh, <laughs> too much interest in me. I guess. Clearly. Um, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. I love James. He's great. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I would say uh, I started out as a Knicks fan. Let's see. So I was 90, 1990. Sure. So during most of like the, the glory days of Knicks fandom, uh, during the mid to late 90s, I was you know kind of too young to appreciate it. I kind of latched on with the team during the 99 finals run. Mm. And so like growing up, Sprewell was my guy. Um, Alan Houston like Marcus Camby, like those are my dudes. And then, uh, you know, somehow I stuck with it all the way through all the dark years and thousands and then kind of uh, reaped the benefits when, uh, to a degree, I mean, I guess when, when Mello got here, got yeah. a couple playoff appearances, had a second round exit, which, you know, may as well have been the NBA finals. And then, uh, and then, yeah, here we are now. Now we have this like great young team. So I actually feel pretty good for having uh having survived the journey to this point, I think. Yeah, it really is. It's it's a war of attrition to a degree, but Knicks fans are generally, and I, I swear I'm not sucking up here, just so devoted. And it really, it, isn't it kind of Stockholm Syndrome to a degree where every time there are these small little spurts of not even relevancy or not even necessarily good play, but just like fun little things like Knicks fans just lose their mind like even even tonight like this was I I've up to this point I mean for those of you who don't know who are listening I, I've been the locked on Nets host for the last two years so I, I haven't really had a lot of time to watch Knicks games when I'm watching 82 Nets games a year 
And th- this was outside of when they played the Nets. This was the first full Knicks game I got to watch all season. And even like Frank and um, and Kevin both having excellent games tonight. And that's something that I think like reasonably any fan base would be excited about. But it was in a, a game where they were mostly down by 30 to this mediocre Hornets team. And I was like losing my mind. I was getting hyped. I was fist bumping. And it's it's deranged that I'm getting that excited about one-off performances from these two guys when the Knicks are down by 30. But, I mean, to me at least, that kind of sums up the experience better than anything else, does it not? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Hey, first off, let me just say I'm very glad to uh, be part of the uh, group of people that is rescuing you from having to watch 82 Nets games a year. I will. It just sounds horrible. (laughs) I, I don't here here's the thing and this this won't earn me uh, any favors I I got into the nets it was never it was never a close comparison they never touched my heart in the way my, my terrible Knicks have over the last 20 years but great broadcast team fairly entertaining brand of basketball they are coming off a stretch where they lost like eight straight games on buzzer beaters so I'm, I'm okay living without that in my life but I will I will defend the nets a little bit I do appreciate the rescue simultaneously. Uh, getting into my history a little bit, Alex, um, I, I am shared with you on the Latrell Sprewell front. My first ever jersey was a bright orange Latrell Sprewell, one that I've I've kept, I think, for like 10 years. My third jersey was a Stefan Marbury jersey that I still, I got, I think, when I was in fifth grade, and it was an extra large, and I was maybe four foot, like, 10 at that point. I'm now six foot three, and it still fits me, which is just incredible and I can't really explain it but I, I love having it uh yeah and and I know you mentioned like your first team was that 99 team I think for me it was it was also when I was about nine years old the 0304 season is when I really got hooked for whatever reason I believe Eddie Curry on the team uh Michael Sweetney which is a real a real deep pull but he was I, I was a big fan of him Stefan Marbury was my favorite player throughout my youth. I went to, and I'm sure some of the people listening also attended these camps, so the basketball city camps in uh, downtown uh, Chelsea, New York. And I just remember, like, Knicks players constantly cycling through. They had David Lee. They had Stefan Marbury. They had uh, Clyde, of course, um, who, uh, and at one point I will tell the story on my podcast, had just an incredible conversation with me and my mom. Uh, one year, and then um, the legend Jared Jeffries as well. So at that point, just meeting all those guys, um, getting to go to their basketball camps, and uh, for whatever reason, getting really into my team, losing 53 games every year and somehow never picking the right player, I, I became just a devout Knicks fan. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like quite a, quite a story. Oh, it sounds like you and I have pretty similar beginnings hmm. as far as this all goes. Humble. It seems like see, – see, the thing that I can't understand, and I was on another podcast recently. I was on, on a podcast on uh, Gotham Sports Network with Andrew Claudio, and he was talking about he doesn't understand how there's like this whole generation of Knicks fans now that came up during the 2000s, like yeah. during the mid to late 2000s when the Knicks were just awful. And, you know, I, I kind of sympathize with that. I don't know where I would have been in that time frame, but I feel like if I'd been growing up during that time frame, like say I was nine years old in like 2007, growing up in New Jersey, I probably would have been a Nets fan. Right. That feels kind of weird to say, but I'm, I'm honestly grateful that I'm a Knicks fan because it teaches you some serious humility. But I think, Knicks fan. I, I think that that's a hundred percent true. And I think it's all perspective because I, I don't think I've, 
ever identified with anything with anything more that someone has said on a podcast than you saying um, the two, 2013 season where they lost in the second round felt like a finals appearance. That whole season felt like they were winning an NBA championship on a night-to-night basis. Like the first 23 games of that year where they were 18-5 and five and just shooting like 40% from three. Steve Novak would hit four five threes a night. Melo was looking like an MVP. Like everything was coalescing perfectly. J.R. Smith was probably the most conscious he's ever been during an NBA game. The, the combination of all those factors, it, it was just, it was perfection. It, it was so, so enjoyable. And it really is like, again, I, I hate to use the term again, but Stockholm Syndrome, because it's all, it's all relative being a Knicks fan. And the reason I'm so excited starting this podcast is because the Knicks do feel like they're on their, if not their best trajectory, as you could argue like the early mellow years were, they're on probably their most sustainable trajectory arguably since I became a fan like I I don't remember them ever being this stable which is weird because you feel like half this team could be gone next year but and maybe that's that's again that's an indictment on the last two decades but I I feel I feel good as we go into this podcast I guess is what I'm gonna say yeah no doubt I feel like uh I feel like James picked a great time to retire and leave this to us because I feel like we might get to uh kind of inherit what could end up being a pretty freaking awesome team at this point. Until we inevitably get poached by 2K, as, uh, as so many fans have feared. All right. Yeah, with- uh, I swear, if, if NBA 2K comes to poach me, there's nothing anybody can do. No, it's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, it's, to... It's like when the UFO comes and you just, you just put your hands up and, and you're ready for it. All right, with that, we are going to yep. wrap up the first ever segment, A New Error of Locked On Knicks. And just to be clear, I think we, we, uh, we initially we wanted to do it today and there were some scheduling concerns. James will come on at some point in the next week or so, hopefully, if not later, whenever he settles in in uh, San Francisco to say a, uh, a final goodbye. We are not going to let him get away without doing that. But until then, me and Alex have the reins. We're going to come back next and talk about the Knicks and the Hornets squaring off tonight. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, with you for the very first time. We are so happy about it. Knicks uh, down and out early this one. I think uh, Mike Breen said near the end of the broadcast, trailing by double figures over the final 30 minutes of this game. But a lot of reasons for optimism despite that. Kevin Knox uh, becoming the first Knicks rookie since Patrick Ewing to have 25 and 15 in a game, becoming the first teenager in the NBA to do it since LeBron James, and then Frank Nilakina, 18 points in 11 minutes in the second half. So it's the rare blowout where you, I think you actually come out feeling pretty good because at least in my opinion, um, Sands, Kristaps, Porzingis, those are the two most essential guys to the Knicks future currently on the roster. Yeah, I would say so. And to, to piggyback on that stat that you just gave, um, which I'm sure you probably saw from Tommy Beer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. And in addition to the fact that Knox is the first teenager to post at least 25 and 15 since LeBron, he is also, uh, those two are the only two to have ever done that, which is, that is true? really wow. encouraging. Um, so that's awesome. And I mean, Knox just, he looked, he's playing that brand of basketball that, that we've been seeing for the last few days where he's finally kind of switched out of, it seemed like for a while he was trying too hard to try to prove himself, like to prove that he belonged. And he was kind of getting tunnel vision, was kind of just shooting it. Like every time he touched the ball, 
now it seems like he's playing more within the flow of the offense and he's taking smarter shots, which go figure has led to him, you know, turning into what looks like a, a more complete player right now. And he's also converting a way better percentage of his looks right now. So it's been really encouraging from him these last, like what, three, four games, like last week and a half, roughly of him. Yeah. Um, hopefully a barometer for things to come for him, I think. Yeah, I love, and again, like I want to, I want to say everything with the qualifier. I have not been watching the Knicks all year, so things that I find novel and amazing, uh, other people might roll their eyes at. But has has he had that floater the whole season? Like to me, like that's such a useful skill for a guy with his size and his theoretical ability to shoot from the outside, and again, somewhat theoretical at this point, ability to get to the rim. Like if he can really have that complete three-level scoring package in that little in-between game. Like, to me, like, that just makes him potentially down the road, like, such a deadly scorer. Yeah, I mean, the floater, I don't know if it's necessarily been there all year. Like, it's something that he's tried to do. Um, but it's really coming around now, which is nice. Um, and he's also, he's using it more judiciously. Like, I feel like previously at other times in the year when now he pulls up and and pops that nice little floater he might have tried to get to the hoop uh usually to mick bolt um i I would say mostly to you know not as good results because his finishing like right at the hoop definitely still needs some more work right um he tends to i noticed with knox the thing with him is when he gets right to the hoop he tends to overpower it right now like the amount of misses that he has at the hoop where he like uh, you know, bounces it way too hard off the backboard going for a layup. Like, that happens all the time right now. He really needs to work on, like, the finesse and touch around the rim. To get back to the floater, it's something that he's really been flashing the last few games, um, along with kind of a nice little acumen in the pick and roll also, mm. which is something that we hadn't really seen to this point either. Um, but it's, it's like, important to note with him that, you know, he – so the, the team just finished – what was this? the 28th game of the season. I mean, he's only on like his 20th game of the season, I think, because he missed seven or eight games with his uh, badly sprained ankle right towards the beginning of the season. So he's kind of been playing catch up the whole year. And uh, it's cool to see that he's now starting to put it together in, in a way that is a little more reminiscent of what we saw from him back like in summer league. When I mean he tore summer league up, like yeah. he looked like he was a potential rookie of the year candidate in in summer league, and then came in, played not so good the first game, played actually really well in the second game of the year, got hurt in the third one, and then struggled for probably like eight to ten games after getting back from that injury. So this is this has been really encouraging. I mean, if we keep seeing this sort of play from him, even if he doesn't necessarily hit like a super high percentage of his shots like the way that he's been playing lately has been extremely encouraging. Yeah, I think just with his skill set, if he continues to be aggressive over a large enough sample size, I, I think the efficiency will start to trend positively. And, and to me, at least, that means like basing his game around attacking the basket. Like even tonight, obviously, he got a lot of stuff at the rim early and some stuff in transition similar to the Nets game. Um, but he shot, he shot four of eight from three tonight. And I think we're both under the impression that that's not really sustainable in any way at this point in his career. And to me, he he always looks like a guy who has nice form and clearly has good touch on his shots, but is not going to be a good jump shooter this season. Like, I just don't think that's realistic. And given how widely inefficient he's been this year, shooting the ball either from range or even in the mid range 
I, I, I'm not convinced that's going to come around. But if he can continue to attack the basket, get to the foul line a little more like tonight, like he scores 26, only shoots two free throws, um, I, I think the numbers will just continue to trend up. And, and I generally believe like him attacking the basket like gives him slightly more confidence shooting from the perimeter and kind of gets him in rhythm. But I, I want to transition over to Frank because this game was just, I mean, genuinely cathartic for me to watch as a guy who was, I think like, I mean, not not to change topics, but I promise I'll, I'll bring it back around. I think the most traumatizing moment for me as a Knicks fan, like in my, in my whole life as a Knicks fan, was two summers ago when Phil Jackson was apparently seriously considering trading Kristaps Porzingis, because at that point I was just kind of of the opinion, I'm like, all right, if, if you trade him for essentially anything, because you're not going to get fair value, I'm and just because you, you're an idiot and you can't. You, you don't agree with him on certain things and you're pissed that he didn't show up to your exit day interviews. Like I, I just don't want to root for this team anymore. Like that, that would, that would have just been like a step too far in my mind. And the idea of them shopping Nilakina so early in his career when he's shown so much promise defensively and has had flashes of brilliance offensively. Like to me, it's not the same thing as Porzingis who is just so obviously talented, but it is, was kind of a smaller version of that. And the fact that like, this the last two games and the fact that like he wasn't just banished and that Fizdale seems to still have some faith in him felt really good. And then for him to come out and play so well tonight, and actually I saw posting and toasting um, show a clip of an interview he had post game tonight where he sounded kind of emotional about his success. I don't know. It made me it made me feel really good inside. I I was just I was so happy for him to see that and just as more of an objective observer, I, I'm just I'm so glad he had a good game finally. Yeah, well, you know, not to uh, toot my own horn, but I clipped that clip. That you there you go. Hey, it was pretty phenomenal. <laughs> it, was, it was it was skillfully um, done. As the as the social media man and writer for posting and toasting. There you go. Um, anyway, great promotion. But, uh, yeah, I mean, seamless. Yeah, hey, that was great, man. Yeah. We're we're already energizing on like, <laughs> self promoting me. Yeah, so this is perfect for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no, you got it. Um. So, so uh so yeah but frank was awesome tonight i mean it was like exactly what you want to see out of him and probably who fisdale wants to see him mm. uh fisdale so again not to stray too far off topic because i want to get back to frank in a second but it was nice to see fisdale tonight too go to bat for frank and fisdale like straight up got himself thrown out of the game in defense of frank getting called for two kind of ticky tacky fouls uh, down the stretch of the game that ended up fouling him out uh, early in the fourth quarter. So that was cool to see from Fisdale because, like, realistically, Frank probably would have played through the end of the game again, just like he did the other night. Um, but, I mean, it was it was great to see. I, what's, what's really cool is, like, Frank has gotten some similar looks, the ones that he got tonight, like, in other games this season. And because he's, like, he's pretty good at, when he's engaged and when he's not just like ball watching, like he tends to do with guys like with guys like uh, Alonzo Trier or Trey Burke that are kind of more ISO heavy. When he's out there playing with guys that are more engaged in an offense, he's pretty good at like moving around and finding looks for himself. And so he did a lot of that tonight, which got him a lot of those threes and stuff. But like in previous games this year, he'll take those threes and he'll miss them, and you can kind of see like how it affects him. But he, you know then be a little more tentative and it'll it'll this whole rhythm and tonight he started hitting a couple of them and all of a sudden it was like it was like the fire lit up in him and he was just like ready to rock and and he hit a 
couple more and then he hit a couple and suddenly he shoots freaking seven of 11, 18 points. You know, he scored every single point that he scored in the second half and he shot, uh, I think it was seven and nine in the second half. So even if he can, obviously you can't expect him to shoot seven for nine every single night, but even if he can just bottle the feeling that he had tonight and just kind of use that as motivation, I think that would be really beneficial and hopefully would, uh, you know, pave way for him to finish off the season. I thought it was interesting because Breen was, and, and this is like, to me, like if you were like going to boil down the next season to one conversation, this would be it. He, he was, he was just basically talking about like all the different masters David Fizdo has to serve and how you have to strike a balance between prioritizing the young guys and their development, which ultimately should be the biggest factor for the Knicks, but like him being hyper competitive. And then you have all these vets who want to play and are playing for contracts and like theoretically, like if they're the better player, like how do you look them in the eyes and say, we're going to play these young guys over you, even though you're more effective on the floor when like, I guess it's nominally, it's too early in the season to say the Knicks are quote unquote eliminated from playoff consideration, even if that's not necessarily realistic. And, and just how do you juggle all those different priorities? But in my mind, like my greatest priority is not only the development of the young guys, but the emotional state of the young guys and the continued confidence of the young guys. Like I want Frank Nilakina to feel like, as you pointed out, I think correctly, like he's, he's not going to shoot like this every night, but I want him to feel like he can take these kinds of shots every night, even if he's not shooting that well. And to do that, like you, like, maybe not necessarily start him over Emmanuel Moody, a guy who for the most part has been playing much, much better than him this season, or start him over a guy in Trey Burke who over the last two years has been a better player than him, at least offensively in a very obvious way. But I think you have to, like at a certain point, you got to say like, all right, whatever you do, you're playing 20 minutes a night. And like, clearly like sitting in for three games, like wasn't the worst thing in the world because he's come back and he's played a lot better, but I think to a degree you have to like guarantee him those minutes, and even more than that, you have to guarantee him some time on the ball because, and again, I'm coming this from a perspective of someone who watched the Knicks a lot more last season, but in my mind, like Frank was always at his best and at his most confident and his most empowered when he got to play point guard. And I know there's this whole discussion about what position is he long-term? Like, is he a guy you can play on the ball? But to me, like, again, my priority isn't winning games. My priority is making sure Frank Nilakina is in the best possible position to succeed this season and more importantly in future seasons. And I think that's an essential part of the recipe. Yeah. I mean, to your point, like you can't, you can't pigeonhole him into a position that might not be, the most ideal position for him long-term. Like the whole point of this year and the whole like stated goal of the franchise at large is to develop the players on the team. So like, you're not really developing Frank. If you stymie his role, like let's say that they decided tomorrow, like, Oh Frank, we're going to essentially try to turn you into a three and D shooting guard. Yeah. I mean that, that, that completely undercuts, you know, a skill that he's shown quite well, which is, you know, running pick and roll being just a great passer in general, um, having good floor vision, you know, especially like, especially when the offense is running the way that, that he envisions it running, he has, you know, a great feel for finding people in their spots. So they definitely need to, you know, a, I would say this much, like it, same goes for Dotson. Um, same probably goes for Moody. Also, you know, these guys that got these like, DNPs to sort of like teach them a lesson or whatever. Yeah. All three of them, I think have shown that you should not DNP them the rest of the season at this point, like lesson learned, you know, point made, whatever, but to not play these guys anymore 
would be foolish. Like Fisdale definitely needs to play Frank the rest of the year. Definitely needs to play Dotson the rest of the year. Almost definitely needs to play Moody. And Moody's regressed a tiny bit since he was kind of on his like mega hot streak there for the couple weeks or whatever. Yeah. But like you have to play all these guys. There's no question anymore. And um, but yeah, as far as Frank goes, I mean, I think I would really entertain starting him at point guard again because there's even precedent for even when he was playing, you know, just so so on offense and whatever. The the starting lineup that had him, uh, Mitchell Robinson. Um, struggling to remember the whole lineup at this point but that one that they had that they started against the Warriors and all that that starting lineup was like a plus eight when they're mm. playing together which is like by far one of the best five-man lineups that they had and even one of the better starting or better five-man lineups in the league so there's precedent to say that Frank can go out there as the lead guard and be part of a lineup that's going to do well yeah, and, and so I, I definitely I think that's a priority for the rest of this year for sure. I'm I'm 100 with you, and I think if if you need again, like I mean, just here's the thing: like even if playing or starting Frank wasn't the most conducive decision to winning, I think it would be lunacy to not start him even in spite of that. But when there is an advanced analytics case to say like Frank might be that guy, and when you can also simply say like if if you have like other guys like Trey Burke or Emmanuel Mudiay who I generally think they're good teammates and I don't think this would happen but like if they complain about that or other vets complain about that you can really end that conversation by saying like look like Frank is the best guy defensively and maybe that's what this team needs and like I don't don't necessarily know if that's true and I'm not currently I don't have the stats in front of me I'm not going to make like a compelling argument that Frank is is absolutely inarguably the best guy to start if you want to win games. I, I think there's a case for that. I'm not sure if it's right. I think regardless, he should be the guy starting. This is an interesting conversation. I think it's one that we're going to have throughout the rest of the season because I can't imagine it'll be as simple as Frank um, is your starting point guard the rest of the way. That just seems too cookie cutter and too anti-Knicks. But I want to take a break, come back for one abbreviated final segment, touch on a couple other guys in this game, some couple thoughts from this game, and maybe some thoughts going forward as we finish up this opening edition of A New Era of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for letting us pay some bills. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf with you, James Marcita. He betrayed New York. He moved to California. It was blatant. It was direct. I can't imagine he cares about any of you anymore. He is rich working for <laughs> NBA 2K, and that is just great. We are so happy for him. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets, a 119-107 win over the New York Knicks. And uh, Alex, I was wondering if you would like if any – takeaways than any of the other guys in this game like to me it was like such like uh I really like I was kind of blinded by uh Frank and Kevin's performances uh Noah Vonley finishing with 10 points and nine assists was a weird oddity but outside of that I just I didn't I didn't have too much on this game outside of those two yeah I was gonna shout out Vonley I mean Vonley had uh actually a team worst minus 23 plus minus for the night Mm. but I didn't think that he really played badly like I thought he played pretty good so that's he kind of had the classic case of a weird plus minus tonight um but he was I mean he was dishing like I love watching him take the ball down the floor I think he is just so fun to watch in that role um and it's so unexpected yeah because like I never expect to see that out of him this year that it's it's so fun just to see him like wave off the point guard and just like run the ball down the floor and then like dime to somebody and, and get assists and stuff. So that was cool to see. Um, also, I think we should give a shout out to Dotson also. Yeah, uh, he did a nice game. Minutes, six of eight from the floor, 12 points. 
Um, I mean, he just played more of that like brand of basketball that he's been playing, where he's just like really, I don't know, he's just like a winning player. You know, he he knows his spots, he gets to his spots, he takes shots, uh, he doesn't generally take stupid shots, and he's just been like totally on fire lately. Like between him and sometimes Trier, like sometimes those guys don't even miss a shot through the whole game. Uh, so it's good to see him doing that again. And I'd say probably my the last guy that I would shout out would be Mitch Robinson. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, it didn't really blow you away on the stat sheet tonight. Six points, two boards, two blocks, um, one assist. But, like, it, again, he was another guy that just kind of was playing playing ball the way that he had to tonight. He had a really – he got kind of – he got – you know, shaken baked a little bit by Tony Parker in the first half. So did, uh, so did Frank. To Tony be Parker was awesome in this game. <laughs> he was yeah. Vintage. Tony Parker really like turned back the clock. Like I was like, crap, man. Like of all the games, Tony Parker <laughs> yeah. has to like, you know, vintage Tony Parker against the Knicks tonight. Um, but maybe he was showing out for French heritage night also. Was for sure. French heritage. Night <laughs> that was it. So <laughs> seemed like, seemed like Parker and Batum and Nilakina were all pretty excited for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought Mitch Robinson just, he played a pretty, good game it wasn't his best game of the season he's had plenty of better games but i really enjoy watching him play i think he's just he's such a freak athlete man and and he uses length so well um he's just fun to watch so i he's my he's my other shout out for today yeah i was watching the um I, i didn't get to see it live but i was watching the highlights of the nets games and like the two shots he hit like the one where he wasn't even looking at the basket and the one where Frank just threw him, like, a terrible alley-oop, and he, like, extended his arm, like, 20 feet away from his body and just redirected it in. were just ridiculous. And I loved, like, the play tonight when Kaminsky tried to take him one-on-one and drive on him, and Mitch just, like, slid his feet and just, like, blocked it calmly. And, like, Kaminsky, that's, like, really, like, his main utility at this point in the NBA, that he's quick enough to beat other bigs off the dribble. And, like, Mitch, it just seemed, like, easy for him to stay with him and destroy it. Like every, every time I see Mitchell Robinson, it gets, I, I get my pants get a little tighter. I, I just get, I get so excited watching him play. He's, he's, he's going to be such a good defensive player down the road. And it seems premature to say that, but he, I, I don't know. There's just so many tools there on both ends. And like, he's a guy like, again, like I'm sure like this is something like Knicks fans have thought all season, probably something James has talked about all season, but just, just a big picture thought I have like every single time I watch the Knicks play, I get more and more excited about him. Yeah, I mean, once he once he reels in the discipline issues that he has sometimes now, I mean, he's managed to foul out of games in like under fifteen minutes before. Like, yeah. so it, he's just got to work on that. But once he gets the discipline, down, I mean, his physical tools and his timing on blocks are just like unreal. I mean, he's already you could already argue that he's already like just from a shot blocking perspective, he might already be top five in the league. Like, yeah. he. He's something. He's in the top ten in blocks per game, and he only averages something like, you know, eighteen minutes a game or something like that. So, it's insane to think what his defensive potential could be. I mean, he has like, God, I hate drawing lofty comparisons, but I mean, you could realistically see him turning into kind of a Rico Bear-esque player yeah. if he gets like a, a really good, uh, you know, consistent interior game. Even if he doesn't add anything outside of that his like defense and rebounding will pay the bills, you know, just by themselves. Yeah. Well, the thing is that, and again, lofty comparison, like we haven't seen anything yet to indicate that he's like, I mean, we, we have seen, we have seen stuff, but nothing to say definitively. He's that kind of transformational defensive player. Like you said it, it's going to take much better discipline 
down the road and like he's shown off a high basketball IQ defensively and you, you figure like given the fact that he didn't even play college basketball like that's like there's a lot of room for growth there and it kind of reminds me of what we saw from Jared Allen on the net side of things so and I think Robinson has even better physical tools somehow than Allen does so again just so excited about him uh four quick final just totally random thoughts uh two of which are basketball related two of which aren't feel free to comment on any of them Alex interrupt me at any point but I'm, I'm just gonna roll through these uh, Kemba Walker, even though he didn't shoot that well in this game, I, I genuinely think he's he's at this point, and it's insane because he wasn't that good of a shooter when he came into the league. He's in like the Damian Lillard tier of like off the dribble shooting, where like it's the next best thing outside of Steph. Like some of the shots he hit in this game were just like the degree of difficulty was just absurd, and I think he essentially like slaughtered the Knicks in that second quarter. Like they had a chance to get back into this, and then he. Hits an insane three, makes like a 60-foot pass to Jeremy Lamb in the opposite corner for another three. Hits a buzzer beater at the end of the second or the third quarter. He was insane. Um, another random thought, Tim Hardaway just brain dead on defense on two plays, just allowed two backdoor cuts for layups. And it's another one of those classic things where the box score stats are really good for him and then he's minus 16 in the plus minus. Uh, two quick off-the-court thoughts. Wally Zerviak, just ridiculous eyebrows. I couldn't stop staring at them. And then I want to do one just, like, insane thing that uh, Clyde says every single game. And at one point, and, and you, Alex, tell me if he's mentioned this before during the season, he said the crowd was comatose. Like, he used it like 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 an active adjective, I guess. Like, they were actively in a coma, comatose. I thought, I thought that was insane. So, yeah, that, that's all yeah. I've got. That's what I've got for you. I don't know if I've heard that one from Clyde before, calling people comatose. But yeah. it was pretty true. Like, the crowd was dead there, man. The crowd never gets that dead at the Garden. Then right. when that Nilakina Knox whatever run went on, then they went freaking insane. And you would have thought they were winning, like, Game 7 of the Finals. Sure. So, um, and then, yeah, Kemba, agree. Uh, and, yeah, the rest of your stuff. Wally Zerbiak, if you think his eyebrows are ridiculous, like just wait till you hear his basketball takes. Yeah, I don't, I don't even want it at this point after after looking at the eyebrows. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I think I think that's a good place to end. Uh, we're typically we're going to try and keep these podcasts uh, with ads to uh, twenty three to twenty eight minutes, but uh, we we went big. It was the opening episode. Alex, really appreciate you joining me. We are both so excited to get this started. Small programming note, uh, our guy Alex is is getting married this week. So first of all, I, I've said it to you off air, but once again, congratulations, Alex. That is awesome. So uh, we might do uh, one more together this week, potentially. And if not, it's, it's going to be me solo for the next two weeks. But we, we wanted to give you a taste of what the uh, two-man dream team sounds like. So I hope everyone enjoyed. And with that, we will wrap up this opening edition of A New Era of Locked on Knicks. And uh, we'll be back uh, later this week with more action for you guys.